With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Folks, after five plus months of wondering, were we going to see any more tour action in 2020? Were we going to get a second Grand Slam this year? We know our answer. It is a resounding yes. The three-week bubble in New York getting underway as we speak. Players are now arriving on site, getting their first practices in as we all get ready for this three-week swing of the Western and Southern Open, immediately followed by the U.S. Open in New York. And we're all aware of the fact that we're not going to get to see every one of our favorite players, right? No Nadal, no Federer, no Ashley Barty, no Simona Halep. And a lot of players justifiably made that decision. They weren't comfortable competing in New York given the circumstances, given that we're in the midst of a global pandemic. And as tennis fans, just as humans more than anything else, you know, we can completely understand those decisions. Now, you know, that being said, we are still going to get to see so many of our favorite tour pros back on court competing against one another. And obviously, tennis right now is in a fascinating place, even beyond the fact that it's been five plus months since we've seen so many of these players on court. The fact that we are really in the midst of generational shifts on both the WTA and ATP tours. You look in the women's game, we've already had young champions emerge like Sophia Kennan, Naomi Osaka, Bianca Andreescu, of course. But in the men's game, the fact that it's only Novak Djokovic, no Nadal, no Federer. Is there an opening for someone like a Dominic Team, a Daniil Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, Alex Zverev, someone unexpected to win this year's Grand Slam and certainly as tennis fans, all of that intrigue, all of the unknown uh, qualities heading into this event make it that much more exciting. And so, of course, we here at Cracked Rackets want to do our best to help prepare you for all of that action in New York. We want to remind you of where we left things off in the professional tennis world, which players had built momentum to start 2020, which players had fallen off to start 2020. You know, what have these past 12 months uh, taught us about the tennis world? Are there any trends we should notice as we head into this U.S. Open? And then, of course, the little things, right? Who are the most intriguing players? Who are the ones uh, that fans should be most excited to see on court for a variety of reasons? And, you know, we want to hear from across the tennis spectrum as well, from players, from fellow members of the media, from coaches. So that's what we're going to be doing here at Cracked Rackets over the next week, really over the next three weeks in general. Uh, from a content perspective, our 
our eyes, all eyes here at Crack Rackets, focused on the action in New York. And so we want to start getting that preview content rocking and rolling. And that's what we're going to be doing in today's podcast. And of course, here at Crack Rackets, we really do have so many exceptional opportunities to get to talk with some of the best minds in the tennis world. And joining us on the podcast today, God, I already regret calling him one of the best minds. Certainly uh, someone who is thinking about tennis uh, at all times, someone who is always, regardless of when he shares his thoughts, he's going to evict some sort of response from the tennis community. I say this to him jokingly during the podcast. You may not love him, but you're definitely going to read him. Of course, I'm talking about New York Times uh, writer, host of the No Challenges Remaining podcast, returning champion here, Ben Rothenberg, who joins us on the show for a two-hour mega podcast to offer our three most interesting WTA players during this three-week stretch in New York now because it is a two-hour mega podcast. We're not just going to release it all at once. We're going to spread this out for you, you know, give it to you in bits and pieces so that you're fully loaded to go when all of the action starts. Today, I'm going to talk about with Ben, uh, you know, our thoughts on tennis's return, our takeaways from the first two weeks, our initial reaction heading into New York. What do we expect in terms of, you know, the broader questions, the level of play, how the safety and health regulations, the fact that there's no crowd, all of these, you know, unique circumstances. And by the way, I'm a stickler about the word unique. Uh, It truly is unique because this is a one of a kind Grand Slam. Never before uh, has a Grand Slam like this been played in the midst of a global pandemic with all due respect to, you know, the 1917-1918 U.S. Opens that were played during the midst of the flu. Uh, I don't think you can make an equivalent from that to this clearly. So this is a unique circumstance. And we talk about all of those things. Again, where we are at on the WTA Tour, that's going to be the focus of part one. In part two, we actually name our players. We're going to give you three names. Ben has three. I have three. You may get little hints and previews about what those names are going to look like in today's podcast. But again, more importantly here, we just want to set the scene, remind everyone what a fun time it is to be a fan of women's tennis. And of course, it's always a fun time when I get Ben on the podcast. So really excited for you all to hear part one of our preview content. Of course, the reason we are able to do this here on the Great Shot Podcast is because of the support we get from our friends at DraftKings. And just quick note about DraftKings. Some of you might be wondering, Alex, where did my favorite new segment, Ace of the Day, go? Well, it's not, you know, it hasn't been kaputs, right? It will be coming back in strong once the events in Cincy and New York start. Now, you look at some of the events going on right now around the globe. There are a couple of challengers going on in Europe, and I believe one's in the Czech Republic. The other is in Italy now. Of course, the U.S. Pro Series exhibition is still going as well. There is still action for everyone to get in on. And I will just say quickly for my DraftKings ace of the day and be ready again for the ace of the day to come out strong once Cincinnati and New York start, excuse me, once New York starts, but once the Western and Southern open, I'm going to be doing that for the next three weeks. Once the Western and Southern open, and the U.S. Open start, it's going to be ace of the day every morning. Be on the lookout for those, especially because it's Eastern time. So we're going to try, you know, we might have to even rejigger the time schedule. We might have to get those out the night before so that you can place your bets by 8 a.m. Or again, there's some things in the work. We'll have a more concrete schedule for you. Nevertheless, ace of the day is going nowhere because we always enjoy getting to hang out with our friends at DraftKings. And in case you just want a slight ace of the day today, again, we've got a couple of 
challenger events going on. You want to throw, you know, Yannick Hanifman minus 225 over a young 18-year-old Italian Lorenzo Musetti, who just respectfully, Musetti playing really, really well, but physically, I just think Hanifman going to overwhelm him. I think Musetti's still trying to really find his bearings on the challenger tour. You know, Yannick Hanifman made a final uh, already in 2020 before play stopped. He looked good during the exhibition series as well, you know, exhibition events. I like his looks. I like the way Gage Brimer has been playing, and I like him minus 286 over Dusty Boyer. You want to parlay the two of them together, you get minus 106 odds at 78.30 payoff. Uh, of course, you want to make it even more enjoyable. You want to throw young Casper Thuk in there, a minus 167 favorite over Holger Rune. Uh, then you get plus 213 odds. So there, a $20 bet yields you 42.64. I would say my ace of the day is the Hanifman Brimer parlay, which is minus 106. So a $40 wager, you're winning about 38.30 back. So that would be the ace of the day, Hanifman Brimer. I would say the winner, if you want to get risky, would be Zook Brimer Hoffman. But of course, for any of you who are intrigued by that, who just want to get in on the action yourself, be sure to go check out our friends at DraftKings. And in case you haven't already, here's how it works. You're going to go to DraftKings.com, create your DraftKings Sportsbook account, and make a deposit. From there, DraftKings will match your first deposit at 20% up to $500. Obviously, now you've got the money ready to rock and roll. Let's make your first bet. And when you do, know that DraftKings will also match that with a risk-free first bet of up to $500. To get involved with that offer, just go to dkng.co slash great shot to play. That's dkng.co slash great shot. Uh, just keep in mind a couple of things. I mean, you are the most educated tennis fans in the business, the most well-informed. Why not take advantage of that fact? Go to dkng.co slash great shot. Get in on the action. We'll be winning just as much as any of these players, right? Western and Southern, U.S. Open. These are going to be big results for us. It's so great to see our favorite pros. Let's take advantage of that fact. Go to dkng.co slash great shot. Keep in mind, deposit bonus is in DK dollars, which have no cash value and must be used on DraftKings. Offer not valid for users physically located in New Hampshire. Eligibility restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for more details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania, 1-800-9-WITHIN in Indiana, or 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. And again, to get in on all the action here, to take advantage of this incredible deal, just go to dkng.co slash great shot. All right, with that in mind, a little bit of an intro for you guys. I just wanted you to know where we are at at Cracked Rackets. But without further ado, let's get to part one of my podcast discussing the three most interesting WTA players during this three-week swing in New York with the one and only Ben Rothenberg. Joining us on the podcast today, and it's funny because when he first came on the show, I took the time to write him a poem and make him feel welcomed. <laughs> At this point, I'm just going to list his accomplishments. Writer for the New York Times, host of the No Challenges Remaining podcast, and one of our many Cracked Rackets returning champions, Ben Rothenberg. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? Did I still say great shot, Alex? Is that still a thing we do? Uh, that's for the Great Shot Podcast. This might be your first mini-break podcast appearance, but okay. we're just rocking and rolling. This is coming out in okay. like 12 hours, Ben. Okay. Mini-break, Alex. Is that better? 
Yeah, that was good. How about this? When I make a good point, just say, Alex, you got the mini break there. Okay. Yeah, okay. we can work on that. I have a few good points in store, but most importantly, oh. we are doing this. Yeah, I feel uh, like it's not for you to decide how good your points are, <laughs> but fair enough. We'll find out. We'll find out on the show. Like I said, I almost said love him or hate him. You definitely read him. Ben Rothenberg, welcome to the show. But I feel like that would be too venomous. You know, it, it's just great to see your smile. I think it's an objective reality. There's a lot of people out there who, who don't who aren't especially fond of me, but that's okay. Uh, I wish them all well. Uh, you know, there's many other necks of Twitter.com for them to enjoy. I'm always, I'm always honestly, there's a lot of people who have, I think we talked about this on the show before, but we don't need to get into this too much. A lot of people on, on Twitter who've blocked me who I've never heard of. And it always makes me kind of happy. I'm like, you know what? Good for you. Like, you didn't want me in your life. You made a choice. I, I have to respect that. This always comes up because it never ceases to amazing, a, amaze me. I, I spend too much time on tennis Twitter, but you'll always see this one tweet directed at you. And I'm just like, aren't you going to give this one up? Like, is this really the fight you really you, you want to continue to have? Although I did see one tweet. I almost screenshotted it and sent it to you. And yes, Cracked Rackets fans, as I you know, love them or hate them. And I'm in the category of love them. We do text Aww. every so often. Uh, there is this message that said, you know what? He gets a lot of criticism, but I'm such a big fan of Ben Rothenberg. Like, it's so clear he's advocating for tennis. And even if you don't agree with his positions, you have to acknowledge his effort. And I was like, this is a good one. I was like, there is hope in humanity well thank you alexander i appreciate that anytime, <laughs> anytime. but do you notice how i didn't say that was me complimenting you you notice how i said that was someone else oh you kept it at you? a safe distance but we know where you stand we, i i have no i have no uh no no misgivings about your uh your affection for me so it's it's mutual and appreciated and all those uh, all those good things yes well anyways that is my way of saying it is great to see your smiling face and great to have you back on the show and obviously it is a fascinating time to be a tennis fan because after five plus months there were many doubts there were players who said yes there were players who said no there have been players who have opted out but like it or not we are going to see tennis in new york three weeks of action the western and southern open followed by the u.s open we have already been treated to two weeks of wt play and let's start there ben because you know we you, we've talked about it before throughout this five-month period we were not sure if we were going to get any tennis during yeah. this 2020 season now that we have what have been your initial reactions i think the level for the most part okay let me put this this way the good tennis has been pretty good right like i think there were certain players at least a couple matches i saw in palermo which is the first week a couple people did not look ready but those people lost first round and that was generally okay. So once you got going towards the you know quarterfinals, second, even second round quarterfinals, like the level was pretty pretty solid. I remember watch, I was watching the first day. I think it was, it was a first round match. Believe I believe between Sarah Arani and Serana Kirstea, and it was like legit. It was good, and it was Arani looked much better than she had pre uh, you know suspension of the tour suspension of herself even and i think that you know some people really could take this time to dedicate and be into that and that's great for them i i'm i'm uncomfortable you know praising or condemning people too much for how they came out of this like if somebody wasn't able to whether you know logistically or mentally or physically to like be at peak training conditioning during this time i'm not gonna be ripping people for that during the u.s open you know no matter how fat milos ronich looks i i don't really care like i think that it's it's his choice his body, his choice, and he, you know, he can do whatever he wants, and and other people can do whatever they want too. And so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. With, I'm, I'm. This is not really what you asked at all, but I'm 
preemptively uncomfortable with anyone saying, wow, this person really won the quarantine. Good for them. They look awesome. Because it's a weird thing for me to grade how anyone reacted to this whole global crisis. Uh, but the level has looked good. Uh, the tennis has looked good. Fiona Farrow looked good in Palermo. And a lot of players in, in Louisville looked really good, too. Uh, quick counterpoint that excuse me yeah <laughs> i was gonna say quick counterpoint that was exactly what i asked for that was the sort of tangent that that we all are looking for just... ronich i feel bad but he looks he looks pretty chunky and it's no, fine to... but he's also yeah, wearing I... horizontal stripes that's not doesn't help anybody so i, I, need, I need more evidence <laughs> i gotta say the lack of data on all accounts is, is a problem right now I completely agree. And to your larger point, I think little things like ab strains and blisters and, you know, seeing someone struggle physically, not maybe necessarily match number two, but match number three on the week or match number four, that is something that all of us should expect to see, particularly from those athletes who didn't have the chance to play exhibitions, didn't have the chance to play world team tennis or one of these tournaments in the run-up. And I don't think that's something that should surprise us. Uh, But to your point, I agree. The good tennis we've seen has been really, really exceptional. I was ready to write a 10,000-word pe- uh, piece on why Fiona Farrow, Jill Teichman, and uh, Mar- Marie Buskova are the future, why you know two 23-year-olds and a 22-year-old are actually at the top of the women's tennis game because they looked that athletic. They looked that great through their first week of play. Obviously, Jennifer Brady looked exceptional, and you look at the race to Shenzhen, and you know Jennifer Brady might come up a little bit later in this conversation. Her good tennis, certainly she kept that form up from the beginning of the year. It's real, folks. She is here. She has arrived in the top 50. That continuation of momentum is something you love to see. You love to see Coco Goff, right, continue her great form as well. Uh, but yeah, to your point, certainly what I learned getting the chance to call all of the action, as you mentioned, in Lexington, not Louisville, but having scoured through every highlight on the WTA YouTube channel of every match in Palermo and Prague, yeah, it's quite clear that I would say... of these players took these five months really seriously, particularly those players, and a lot of them happen to be 25 or under, who have already established themselves in the top 100, who have the resources at their disposal to get in proper training, even in, you know, the midst of a global pandemic. And the separation between those who have those resources and those in the tennis world who don't is a larger conversation for another time. But I think for the majority of these players, as you mentioned, Ben, yeah, maybe the first match, two or three, maybe even the entire Western and Southern might be a little bit choppy. But I think by the time we get to the second week of the U.S. Open, we're going to see some really good tennis. I think it's going to be people who who have the hunger, who are coming out of this better. And that's going to be an interesting, you know, metric because we've seen this even in, in, I've been watching a lot of hockey, and you see this even in hockey, like coming out of the blocks, like the two teams who were worst in this. So the way hockey, not people to get too into this, but like, the top four finishers in each conference played this round robin thing, and a couple teams were just like not invested in it, including the defending champion St. Louis Blues. Were pretty flat. They went zero and three, as did uh, the Bruins, and the Caps were not much better. Um, so teams who had all that is to translate people who had recent success and had won recently didn't have the same sort of fire or hunger to turn it on in this like August hockey round robin situation, which was totally unprecedented and hard to quantify the value of for a lot of people in the hockey world. So that is to say, I do think, I mean, we're seeing this already some with the withdrawals. Uh, I think people play, people who were withdrawing, I think it's probably fair to say we're not as desperate to play tennis as people who are playing. Uh, and you can wait desperation to hunger. Again, I'm not judging anybody for withdrawing here. If they want to withdraw, you do you. But uh, I, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see who has it and who keeps their hunger high during this really weird time. This will be 
a slam that doesn't feel normal. Like I, you know, people, some people are going to like it. Some people, Serena Williams said she loved it. She loved having the, uh, the quiet focus on court that's not distraction, especially nowadays. I think she feels a lot of pressure from the outside, uh, which is at a term like the U S open. There's expectations for her are so high and the crowd is so eager and so thirsty for her to win. And she's not going to have that at the U S open this year. Maybe that will help her to block that out. At the same time, it could also make a lot of players, including her, flat it could make it you know like you have to create your own energy you have to be your own crowd you have to be your own you know emotional support uh animal and i think that some players are going to deal with that well and others won't it's gonna be it's it's just it's what makes it so hard to predict anything in this time because it's just going to be it's a totally different equation right it's a totally different set of things like for example like i am disappointed not because again, not that I'm criticizing everybody pulling out, but my pick as of like, I don't know, June, when the US Open said it was gonna happen, my pick to win the US Open was Kiki Burton's because she hates playing in front of crowds. And I was like, if you get an empty slam, this is Kiki Burton's written all over it. She like doesn't like being in front of people, she wants to be in obscurity. You gave her a crowd free chance to win a slam, that's amazing for Kiki Burton's. She pulled out. Um, but some you know, we'll just see I mean different people who react different ways, people just yeah, I don't know. They're getting paid round by round. The incentives are different in tennis than they are in hockey, but some people come out flat and some people will not. And it'll be interesting to see. No, so hold that thought for one second to just quick follow up two tangents. A, yes, to your other sport uh, equivalent, it's like the Portland Trail Blazers in basketball, right? Dame Lillard, the team needed to make uh, the playoffs. They needed to go essentially 8 and 0, 7 and 1. Lillard averages, what, 50 points a game over their last three games. They win their last three. They win the playing game. They're in the playoffs. We saw what an incentivized performance meant to that team, how they were, if you watch the games, just playing harder than their opponents because the games matter mattered more to them. Uh, the Phoenix Suns, same deal. Uh, so yes, for those athletes, I agree, or who feel that incentive, who are either rising up the ranks, had momentum at the start of 2020, whatever it may be, I agree. Those that went into the break hungry, that took their training seriously, that's going to be evident right away to all of us fans. My second quick tangent on the hockey note, and this is a very random tangent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say there's no person I love in the world more. I would say there are others who I love in the world equally, but no person person I love in the world more than my little brother, Nicholas Stephen Gruskin. Now, Nicholas Stephen Gruskin, you hear that name. Of course, you know, Ben, I am from the state of Michigan. Nicholas Lidstrom, Steve Eiserman, both Red Wings in the peak of their powers ah. around 2002. That's when my little brother was born. He was on a plane. I think this was what, when were people on planes? 35 years ago? Was that the last time? Something like that. And he was on a plane and sitting next to him was Steve Eiserman. And Nikki is the most lovely human, but he's not. He he's a little bit shy. But he was like, "Oh my god, like I have to say something." And goes, "Hey, like Mr. Eiserman, I would never say this normally, but my name's Nicholas Stephen Gruskin, and you're the Stephen." He's like, "Do you mind if I take a photo?" And even Eiserman was like, "Okay, that's pretty good. Like, yeah, I'll take the photo." And so that's that's so my is it one. like Nicholas like glitch of like N I K L A S like the it's N I K O. N-I-K-O-L-A-S, but it's okay. also because, as you know, we're Vildechai, so they weren't going to do N-I-C-H. Never. Because, you know, Never. You're not going to. Yeah, exactly. Not, so, a lot yes. of, not a lot of Nordics in the Chosen. Yeah. Yeah. And so, anyways, that's my hockey-related story. But to Good your story. point, and that gets into something I want to talk about before we talk about the U.S. Open, before we talk about our three most interesting WTA players for this three-week stretch in New mm-hmm. York, what have you thought? In Palermo, there was a light crowd, right? In Prague, there was a light crowd. In Lu- uh, in Lexington, now you've got me doing it. I know, Jeez. sorry. 
No, no, no. That's again. You're that people sort of people in the run-up kept saying Louisville over and over. It kept making me doubt it. I knew Lexington was like the more tennis place. I'm like Lexington's hosted tournaments before. Mm-hmm. I know Lexington decently well as a tennis place, but people like multiple people kept referring to it as Louisville casually because I guess it's the better known Kentucky L city, so it's easy to mix up. But mm-hmm. yeah. Well, the Sorry. first thing you should do to them is you should say it's Louisville, not Louisville. The uh in the middle is very soft. It's... You ever heard that joke? Like, how do you pronounce the capital of Kentucky? Is it like Louisville or Louisville? What do you think? Well, it's Frankfurt. There you go. You got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that is a good joke. Well done. Um, okay. Anyways, see, this is why it's great to have you. Um, but yeah, to your point, in Lexington, there was no crowd. And obviously, the one thing I will take away from Serena Williams, and I know we are going to talk about her later, even if she didn't play good tennis, she competed as well as she always does. And one of the things about no crowd at the U.S. Open, when you're playing Serena at the U.S. Open, you're not just playing Serena. You're playing the crowd as well. That's just mm-hmm. an inevitable fact. If you're beating her, they're going to root for her comeback. If she's winning, they're always going to root for her to win. And that's uh, that makes it the match that much more difficult. Now, of course, there are those players who can, you know, persevere beyond that, but that factor was always going to be a thing. The fact that every court is really, you know, we were talking to Donna Vekic uh, on the Tennis One app. There's a name drop for you, and I said— Double name drop there, actually. Yeah. And I said, is it going to be weird for you to play without fans? And she said, truthfully, I would rather play on court 12 or 13 or 14 where there's never any fans. And you're just used to the smaller stadium, the smaller circumstances. You don't have all of these empty seats. You know, what are your thoughts on how that will play a role? And I, side note, this is because it's been a while since we've had you on the pod. This is just... God, this is such a stupid thing to say. Westoff, I would ask you to cut this, but I'm too deep into the question. I'm trying to get better at asking a question and not answering it before I let the guest answer. I'm going to ask you, what are your thoughts on these circumstances? And then I will give you my thoughts. Well, let me bring this back to NHL again, because (laughs) why not? But basically, NHL versus NBA, right? NBA is playing their games in like a conference room, essentially. Like Like a hotel ballroom kind of situation. Whereas NBA, whereas NHL is playing there in, real, in a real NHL state, two real NHL stadiums in Edmonton and Toronto. And I think it looks a lot better in the NHL version where you actually are in a big building. Like the NBA thing just looks like the dimensions are just off. It looks a little weird. It looks kind of overcrowded to me. Whereas like and NHL still feels like a big stadium. So that's from a viewer perspective, right? Uh, I think it, it, it will be good to have like a US Open final be in a big cathedral of tennis. But if I was a player, yeah, it'd be weird being in a completely empty Ash Stadium for a match, especially like a, a third round match, especially from like a, a you know like a Djokovic or a Serena, somebody who's played in there a ton when it's been really crowded and the, and the crowd's been all for me. Uh, that'd be that'd be weird. It takes some getting. I remember even just I remember this happened uh, naturally at a regular U.S. Open one or this U.S. Open maybe one before. There was a match Roger Federer was playing the first night session match once. And I, want to see, I forget who it was against. Maybe Chilich? I want to, I'm not sure. Anyway, he's playing a night session match. And there was something with, like, the day session ran long. So night session fans had not really filed in at all. And Roger played, like, the first three or maybe five games even in front of, like, less than 5% of the crowd being in there. And it was weird. Like, watching someone who usually gets such vocal crowd support playing in front of almost nobody was, like, disconcerting. And so that's going to take time for them to get used to. I think Federer would have it the hardest of anybody because Federer has the most you know, diehard loud crowds everywhere he goes, he would be the one who I would sort of quote unquote worry about most in this scenario. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Donna's right in that it would be a lot easier to do this on a smaller court mentally. 
And I think that's probably what Lexington, especially, because Lexington, you know, felt like it was a tennis club. It was a small tennis club. Um, it was not a huge built-up stance or whatever. Um, it doesn't feel as, as eerie. But Serena Serena wants as much of that big court atmosphere as possible. She, without, um, you know, without the crowd being there to intimidate opponents of hers, honestly, or to make them realize the weight of the, the thing they're trying to pull off and have them really vocally pulling for Serena, I think Serena's going to want as much kind of, you know, pageantry around the match as she can because she's the one who's used to that. She's the one who's who knows how to handle all that stuff uh, throughout her career. And so she, anything that kind of equalizes it is, is not good news for her. So, mm-hmm. yeah, she would still but, want all of her matches on the big court for sure, Serena. Yeah, no, and to the broader point, and we don't have to debate, by the way, I would argue the NBA, it's a little bit less weird because there is nothing like a hockey crowd going off in a third period, late in the third period goal, right? If there's under a minute left and the goalie's pulled and the team who pulled the goalie scores and it's a home game, that crowd loses it. And for some reason, the intimate feeling of the hockey crowd, they're on top of the arena, they're on top of the rink. It, it, I miss that effect. It feels like it's easier to replicate the crowd noise. I don't know. I feel like, I feel like, I feel like the crowd is like a little bit more, it's, you know, apples and oranges a little bit, but I feel like in NBA, because the scoring is so constant, people are constantly scoring in an NBA game, right? Like, I feel like you need the crowd to like really go nuts for like some big dunk that it's not happening in a crowdless stadium where it's like a goal every time in the NHL is kind of worth the same. Well, I guess to to the point I'm trying to make, because the goal is rarefied in hockey, right? Because yeah. it's a big moment, and that's why the crowd goes nuts. Right. Tennis is more similar to basketball in that it's yeah. the next point. It's the next point. It's the next point. And so from a fan perspective, I don't think it will be that weird. Certainly, you know, hopefully we have good commentators on the call, but you're used to in a tennis match, yeah, you hear the crowd every so often. If there's one sound effect I would like them to bring in, it's on break points. I want to hear the... Like, I want them to do that in the crowd and mimic the okay. crowd. Exactly. Okay. Um, I, but, I thought, you, I thought you, know, you wanted somebody to go like, what time is it? What break time? <laughs> like that. Well, if there's player box on player box chirping, I'm a big fan of that as well. Let us hear it all. But no, I I think it's not going to be weird from a crowd perspective. You know, on a break point, the silence of you know, all these players have played in empty crowded empty crowd stadiums before. I really don't think it's going to impact the level of tennis that much until maybe the second week, the later rounds when everything's in Arthur Ashe and everyone's playing in an empty stadium. Okay, well, question for you. Do you want, like, artificial crowd noise then in these matches? Because, like, I got to say, like, watching Palermo. In the stadium or in my feed? Both. Either or. Those are separate questions. But, excuse me, watching Palermo, there was probably, I don't know, a couple, few dozen people there in the the crowd for the opening rounds, at least the parts Mm -hmm. I saw. And that was, and and especially watching some, like, Iranian matches, some Italian players, they're pretty invested. And that was, that made it feel like, you know, a normal match. Like, honestly, it wasn't that much different than watching Palermo most years. Like, Palermo usually doesn't have a huge crowd. So it kind of felt like normal Palermo in a lot of ways. They're all wearing masks. There's some visible cues that it's different. They're handling their own towels, et cetera. But it felt not that different. Watching Lexington, it was different for me. And I was obviously less invested in it point by point because I wasn't calling it like you were. But it felt, it was, I felt myself drifting out of it mentally more. Like, it was hard for me to, like, engage with, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a Serena Williams match. This is, like, a big occasion because it just felt audio was, like, very flat, you know? Like, she'd hit some crazy shot winner, and, like, the, if the commentators don't go nuts, no one else will. So, so. I'm. I, this is, again, why I, I'm really glad you say this from your perspective because we had it so differently, right? From my perspective, and I will say the matches I've called in my life uh, – 
you know, we went down to Miami for the exhibition. We went down to Top Seed for the exhibition. Uh, those were not crowd, you know, those were during COVID. And so it was a small crowd. It didn't feel that different for me uh, from a point perspective because, yeah, I, I could hear the noises of the court and I was focused on the match. And that's always going to be the case in my experiences. Now, you know, when we did the national indoors, you could feel that crowd during a Wisconsin night <coughs> match because we were in Wisconsin and there's an atmosphere in college tennis. I don't know if I'm going to feel that way at the U.S. Open. Maybe, again, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals. But in the first round, there's just a lot of action. You're trying to consume it all, and you're watching outer courts. And I don't think it's going to be that different. But, again, I just think from a player perspective, the only part, places where it matters is if you're on a stadium court. Because that's the only time you're going to see the emptiness of the arena. The other times, you're going to be so focused on the match that it, I don't think it's going to be that different. I think people will be able to focus on the match pretty quickly regardless. I would hope so. Yeah. Like, within a couple yeah. games, you get used to the empty surrounds, especially, God, for these men's matches we best of five in front of nobody. Good luck with that. Like, you're going to have... Um, those are going to be a slog. But I... I, Yeah, I don't know. I, I do... Th- I, I'm interested for myself. Just, I don't know how I'm going to react to this because yeah. I've been at the last, I don't know, like 20-something Grand Slams in a row, probably. And this will be my first time covering a Grand Slam remotely in a long time. And... Uh, I have done it before, but it's been a while. And it's going to be interesting just like – but I also was doing press conferences virtually that I wasn't doing back eight, nine years ago. And so it's going to be interesting to see how just like how uh, how invested I am in this. Because normally when you're at a grand – I had this kind of conversation with a bunch of other sort of veteran tennis beat writers. Like normally when you're at a tournament, you are at a tournament. You are there. Mm-hmm. You are like, it is your day. You wake up and only the order of play is going to be. You make all your plans around it. You're thinking about the tournament a lot, thinking about all these little stories going into things. And you're like very, very dialed into this Grand Slam experience. And you get really into the minutia of it. You start watching at a Grand Slam, like some, you know, mixed doubles with nothing else to do or some wheelchair or whatever else is going on during the second week when things slow down a little bit. At this tournament, like, we're all going to be home, or almost all of us are going to be home. We, you know, I might go walk the dog between sets or something or, you know, get dinner. Just, like, I can check out of the tennis in a way that I couldn't previously. And that's going to be something that's just different. Like, I, I, I'm, it's going to be a different experience than me. Way less immersive, let's put it that way, right? So just my own sort of, yeah, my own immersion in this slam is going to be very, very different. And my own uh, experience that way. So I'm hoping I can get into it. I'm, I'm hoping I have you know, plenty of work to do. And I'll certainly be doing podcasts and stuff. And one with you, apparently, we're doing. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. But, uh, you know, I, yeah, it's going to be different. It, 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 like I just said, I don't know. And I said this, this goes to a separate conversation. We'll get to the real topic of the show eventually, I promise. But this mini break is not as mini as it should be. But the the asterisk conversation, right, which is already happening about which is the yeah. asterisk or not, my answer is a very firm, very definite, I don't know. Because, <laughs> because I think we'd have to wait and see, right? Like, I can't so, – we have to wait and see. We do not know what this U.S. Open is going to be like. We, do, we uh, cannot say anything declaratively about what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, how the tennis will be. We do not know. And so, so we, can, I, we can decide that after the fact, but pre or post, pre-asterisking, no, 
no. So what I was going to say is you just scheduled our post-U.S. Open podcast because I completely agree. How can you answer that before you know, A, does anyone test positive, any player in the event test positive for COVID? B, when does that positive test happen and how does it influence the rest of the event? Which players were they exposed to? What will the impact be of that? Just there are so many things that still have to unfold. I could not agree with you more on the asterisk conversation. Uh, to your larger point, I, I, I completely agree with you. You look at for these players, and I apologize if it sounded any other way, they're still professionals. They're going to go on court and three points in, they're going to forget where they are like they always do, and they're just going to get locked in on the match, locked in on their opponents, the game plan, all of those different things. Now, we already covered from a fitness perspective, from a level of play perspective, what to expect. But, you know, last thing, and we can do this one quickly before we get into our players to watch. From a media perspective, covering the event virtually and everything that you've done thus far, I'm curious what you've thought of that experience. Again, they're just the minutia of the 2020 WTA ATP tournament yeah. experience. So I think the WTA press conferences have been pretty good for the most part. Uh, it's very fun to me that it's like the same handful of people who always ask press conference questions, like me, Courtney, Reem, Tumani, are like still carrying most of the load, uh, even virtually. So that's sort of fun. But uh, I that part to that just quickly to that yeah go ahead to that all i have to say is i'm just waiting for an email to be responded to but we can leave that there you were in some of those lexington ones i saw you pop up oh i was not there i again waiting for a response i thought i saw you in the in the, in the zooms no? no no me and gil gross look a lot alike i get why you no no i thought i said okay anyway forget <laughs> that sorry maybe you weren't there um I'll, I'll look into that yeah that's that's not good i'll follow i'll i will i will uh go uh i don't know what the i'll go rattles and yeah. doorknobs i don't even know what the expression do, should be do a little situation. investigating you'll be my nancy drew saber rattling there you go i don't know what i'm <laughs> gonna be but i I'll, I'll be i'll just go yeah okay good to know side note um yeah <laughs> i i do i do think though i mean it's also harder to get one-on-ones which are a big part of tournament coverage especially at smaller tournaments um and so like normally like Lex, at a place like lexington if you were there in person you get a lot of one-on-ones with people because there's not much of a demand uh now they're all a little bit overstretched, so I'm really I'm nervous about what it's going to be like for US Open because they're going to have to be running. It's going to be a very different situation. They're going to be running, I don't know, five, six multiple zooms at a time. Like there's very frequently times when there's you know eight, nine players at least doing press at a Grand Slam at the same time. That's a high number, but it definitely does happen during you know heavy traffic times of the first couple of days. So I, I'm nervous about the bandwidth of that. I hope the US, USA does a good job. There's other issues that are coming up with this, like. A lot of uh, media in foreign countries uh, do not have access to any service, at least definitely not free, that uh, gives them ability to watch every court. That's something you can normally do at your Grand Slam, like so they can't watch their player if their player is on court 12 or whatever. Uh, that's a problem. They need to fix that. So there's a lot of hurdles to clear. Uh, and the communication from USTA has not been great, I will say, in terms of them setting them up. Uh, and similar for the International Tennis Association, communication has not been always great during this time, which is like the tennis writers quote-unquote union kind of deal we have um so we'll see i i don't know i it, it, i hope it's good i, I would be, be patient with people try to you know give people benefit that's a tough time for everybody um but it's going to be the quality the quality of coverage undoubtedly from a writing perspective from the beat writers is going to be a half thing it's going to be markedly worse for everybody yeah. No, it, it's going to be different. There, there's no doubt about that. And it'll be fascinating to see what mediums people use. I forgot I have to sneak one more in. 
We learned today a non-player tested positive on site. I, I made I tweeted this out earlier. Always great to pu- plug your own tweet. Um, you know, it was it was inevitable, right? Someone, given the scale of this event, was going to show up on site and test positive. Now, what we learned about this positive test was that it came after an initial negative. The person had been on site for forty eight hours. Then they tested positive afterwards. Um, but I I mean, again, this is, if you're the USDA, you had to have anticipated this, right? That someone was going oh, yeah. to test positive. And there have to be procedures in place. Curious your initial reaction now that everyone's arriving on site on the safety and health regulations in place for this three-week bubble. One, it's very low. I mean, one is the perfect number, honestly, because zero looks a little suspicious. So yeah. you want one to show the tests that do work. Yeah. Um, so I, I think one is uh, wishing this person a speedy recovery. I do – it's going to be tougher as they go on and on if there are more positive tests, but it's not identifying people thing. That's going to be – could become pretty uh, pretty uh, farcical at some point yeah. because, On a side because note, we're going to know if somebody pulls out and, like, they're, like, a player, you know, has withdrawn from the tournament. And we also see that one person pulled out of the tournament because of illness. This is what happened in Palermo. Uh, you know, just name the player on some level, I think. Uh, the flip the, side is, though, it's got to be the tournament naming the player because oh, yeah. there was yeah, – yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, I'm not going to name the reporter, but someone tweeted out that someone had tested positive and uh, – well, I mean, this was a while ago. It was at uh, – for in Atlanta, and someone had tested that someone in Atlanta tested positive, not the specific name oh, of the player. Oh, you were freaking they out. Just, I remember this. And I texted you. I was like, dude, do you know who it is? Because four of the players in Atlanta were just in Miami, and if it's one of them i'm going to lexington and i'm going to over an entire tournament and like i will not be the reason shelby rogers isn't competing in new york i was like this is reckless beyond belief i just was very upset that that person would run with that without saying a name i think it's twofold i think if someone tests positive it's on the usda the us open i agree to be forthright and forthcoming with that information on the same note do not be reckless with your, uh, you know, just there are too many little strings attacked. What if you're that food delivery guy and you're like, I think I just delivered to that player. It, it, there are just too many circumstances where you can't be reckless with this information. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, with that in mind, again, and we'll see a lot of it, how it unfolds. They have the hotel situation. I think it's like only three or four players opted for private housing. Uh, but there's still a lot to learn as all of these players filter in. We'll learn more about that as we approach the start of the events in the U.S. Open. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with New York Times writer, host of the No Challenges Remaining podcast, Ben Rothenberg. Of course, it's always a pleasure to get the chance to speak with Ben. And, you know, we disagree always in fun ways. He's just someone who sees the game, in my opinion, differently uh, than 99% of the world. And so it's always great to pick his brain about those things. Of course, this is only part one of our conversation. Part two, where we get into our three most interesting WTA players, the meat of this conversation. We name names. We name our contenders. We have a really fun conversation that focuses on a couple of different things. You're going to hear some of the big names. Here, here's my little tease for you. We are going to be talking about the most obvious names heading into this U.S. Open, but we also mentioned some names that maybe you would think you wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't pop out to you. You're not going to be thinking about at the top of your mind as you get prepared for this U.S. Open, and maybe you should be thinking about these players. So really looking forward to sharing part two of our conversation with all of you. Be on the lookout for that. And of course, we have so much preview content coming 
for these next three weeks in New York Western and Southern U.S. Open. You know, reactions when the draws come out, our predictions, of course, our takes, all of these different things. You're going to be able to find them on this podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and of course, articles on our website, CrackedRackets.com, videos on our YouTube channel. So as always, I will say, just go like, rate, subscribe, review to all of the action so you don't miss out on anything. We're all so excited to see, you know, again, our favorite male and female players in one site, one location, three weeks competing against one another. It's really a tennis Super Bowl, and I think we, at, in a time like this, given what we've all gone through these past five months, uh, it probably means more to us now than ever. So you don't want to miss out on any of the action. You want to be as best prepared as you can be. Be sure to follow everything we are doing at our website, CrackedRackets.com. And of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, be sure to go follow us at CrackedRackets. You want to message me directly. I'm at GreatShotPod. Shout out as always to our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out, because we're going to keep it rocking and rolling here at Cracked Rackets, and the only reason we are able to do that is because of the work they put in. Of course, we also are eternally grateful from the support we get from our friends at DraftKings, and there's a lot of action coming up, folks. If you want to get in on it all, be sure to go to dkng.co slash greatshot. Get a risk-free first bet up to $500. Get them to match your first deposit as well. little money in your pocket, and of course, our GSP Ace of the day. We're really looking forward to rocking and rolling through this three-week bubble in New York with those segments. We're going to win us some money, folks, uh, so be on the lookout for all of that. But with that being said, for our wonderful guest, Ben Rothenberg, our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at DraftKings, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say, folks? Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.